0: God, we, um, for the most part around this room, we have this and carry this audacious belief that you're the speaking, revealing, living God and that you've got a book out and that you're about to speak to us. That's why we come and we listen. That's why we talk, because you speak. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you now to do what you do, to speak to our hearts, to challenge our lives, That even on this Easter Sunday evening, we might leave here different, because you met with us. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. This evening, um, I want just to speak for a few minutes and introduce you to a woman who we know as Mary Magdalene. Actually, interestingly, that's almost certainly not her name. We've just... Traditionally called her Mary Magdalene. Her Mary is a transliteration of the Aramaic, and she's almost certainly called Miram. And so she's Miram, and she's from a place called Migdal. And so she's Miram from Migdal, not Mary Magdalene, but that's just slightly incidental. We just call her Mary Magdalene. But the, the fascinating thing about this Mary is that she is the first person on the planet to witness the greatest miracle ever seen. She's the first person at the tomb. She's the first person to see Jesus alive. And she's the first person to believe it. But but, but she believed initially something about Jesus that almost everybody you know believes about Jesus. She believed something initially about Jesus that almost everybody you know believes about Jesus. And maybe some of you believe about Jesus. Jesus. She'd she'd hung out with Jesus probably more than almost anybody else. Certainly apart from Jesus' mother, she was probably the closest female friend to Jesus. And she believed a number of things about Jesus. She believed he was a great teacher because she'd heard him. She believed he was an incredible miracle worker because she'd seen him do miracles. And she almost certainly believed that he was who he said he was, that he really was the son of God and that he was someone very special. And so she was willing to give up her life to follow him. But as she approached the tomb that morning, she believed that Jesus was dead. She believed what, what, what almost everyone else in, on this planet believes about Jesus She believed Jesus was dead. And so she says, when she sees no body, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they put him. And you probably know the story, so we don't want to spend too much time here. But Roman execution, crucifixion was horrific and degrading. And because you were considered to be a criminal, there was no burial. And so you'd be taken off of the cross and then you'd just be thrown away into the council dump. No, no nice tomb for you. And so the story tells us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two very rich and, and highly um, thought of political leaders, came to Pilate. They probably bribed Pilate, Pilate, the Roman leader, and they said, we want the body of Jesus, I don't know whether were. they were totally convinced themselves about Jesus, but the, we want the body of Jesus. And they took hold of the body of Jesus and they embalmed it and they wrapped it and they buried it and they rolled a stone over the entrance and then they guarded the body because Jesus was hot property. And you couldn't be exactly sure what was going to happen if you didn't guard the tomb and, and you didn't want anything untoward to happen and so they guarded the tomb and here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. Nobody on that Sunday morning were standing outside the tomb counting down from ten nobody nobody was going ten, nine, eight seven, when's it going to happen nobody was was expecting and waiting for Jesus to pop out of the tomb because everyone who knew Jesus was just like most people that you know they thought that Jesus was dead because I don't know because they kind of imbibed some 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 of the fixed laws in the universe that made the world understandable and scientifically navigable, and and, and you know, pe- dead people don't come back to life, and he's dead, and we saw him dead, and he was killed on a Roman cross, and there's no way he's coming he's coming back. So Mary, seeing no body, says someone has stolen the body, and Peter. You'd have thought that Peter, Jesus' best mate, would be better. But Peter runs to the tomb. Read this part. Peter runs to the tomb and sees the stone and the grave clothes. And and instead of getting all excited and starting a praise concert or something like that, he, he just, he walks away wondering to himself what had happened. I mean, the passage of scripture we read said he believed. I think he just believed what Mary had said, that there was no body. Because I think he was a typical male. He went to check up, but she wasn't just being hysterical. I mean, you know, just going to go. He just won nobody thought this was going to happen. There was no kind of resurrection camp outside the tomb with streamers and a banner and, and a worship band with Tim Hughes, greatest day in history when Jesus came out of the, the tomb. None of, none of that, because all of Jesus' guys thought it was over. I think... Don't you find that fascinating? You find it fascinating that that's what we read in the Gospels? Doesn't that kind of help you believe that maybe they're true? Because i tell you why. Because if I was writing the Gospels, and I was writing myself into the Gospels, I would have said, nobody else thought, by the way, that Jesus was going to be alive. But I was there. I always knew. I was hanging out, waiting for the moment. Peter, he was not sure. Mary didn't believe, but I was there. But these guys, they said, we doubt it. We didn't know, we weren't sure, we were fearful, and these frightened and doubting and non-expectant men and women, accountants and terrorists and fishermen and scholars, they met him. And The interesting thing is they didn't run around giving some clever apologetics saying, well where do you think the body was, because the r- religious authorities didn't steal the body and the Roman rulers didn't steal the body and we didn't steal the body, otherwise we produced the body and... and it, they just said, we met him. We've met him. He's alive. It changes everything. I've met him. That's why these testimonies are so important. I've met him. It changed my life. It means everything. And so Peter met him and John met him and James, Jesus' brother, met him. Do you know what it's going to take to convince Your brother, that you're the son of God. (laughs) Just met him. And then two guys on the road to Emmaus who wasn't expecting to meet him met him, and then five hundred people at one time met him, and they they knew they'd met him, and it was so it was so obvious that they'd met him that they began to give their lives for him and to, 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 to sell out their their stuff for him and to say, This is the thing to live your life for and this spread. But it's deeply personal. Listen I don't follow Jesus today primarily because I've had all my questions answered cuz I haven't I've still got questions I don't follow Jesus cuz I did an alpha course and it was brilliant although it is I don't follow Jesus today because it's the best way to live your life although I think it is the best way to live your life I follow Jesus cuz I've met him and I know that he's alive and he's real and he changes stuff in me and all around me and here's the thing i stand in a long 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 line of witnesses who say the same thing millions and millions and millions of them if he wasn't alive we wouldn't be here today doing this we probably would never have heard of jesus we'd never be telling the story and you can meet him today you can meet him but but that's not what i want to talk about I want to ask the question, what does it mean? Literally, in the words of my youngest daughter, literally, what does it, what is it, what does it mean? And there are a number of things that it means, just very quickly, it means that the integrity of this God is suddenly unquestionable. I mean, this is God that you might doubt his integrity. Suddenly, the integrity of God is unquestionable because he said he would rise from the dead, and he did rise from the dead. He said the most audacious thing that three days later he was going to rise from the dead, and suddenly he's he's alive now today. So could it be possible that every other ridiculous and audacious claim that he made could also be true? That you don't need to be anxious although you feel anxious. That you can know life and forgiveness and healing and transformation, that you can have hope and a future, and you can have life that starts now and goes on forever. That there is this thing called the kingdom of God where everything that God wants happens, and, and you can experience that not just in all eternity, you can experience that now. Is it, is it possible that that could also be true? Yeah, because he's alive. What does it mean? It means the power of this God is undeniable. If he can do this, if he can do the biggie, if he can smash death, if he can get through the curtain, if he can, if he can do this, then he can do anything, can't he? Then suddenly there is nothing he can't handle. Could I not trust him for my life, my finances, my future, my career, my relationships? But here's, here's where I want to land it tonight. What, what does this mean? It means when you look at the story of Mary, that his character, God's character, is now very clear. Who this risen God is becomes very, very clear. And I want to mention just a few. We could spend a whole week talking about this, but I just want to mention just a few things. Here's the first thing. The first thing about his character is he's incredibly inclusive. He loves unlikely people. He loves unlikely people, which is great, because you're unlikely, and so am I. I mean, check out Mary Magdalene and the story of Mary. The first thing we hear about the story of Mary, we find it in Luke's gospel in chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And she is described as someone who is demon-possessed. Now, we can have a whole discussion about what that means. But, but the, the scriptures describe her as being demon-possessed with seven demons. Now, according to the Jewish symbolic numbers, that means she had the complete set. You could not be more demon-possessed than Mary. She was totally off the planet and totally possessed. And, and, and now, she is included in the list of followers of Jesus. Jesus meets with her. Jesus heals her. Jesus transforms her. Jesus fills her, and now she's included in the list. And here's the thing: Jewish teachers didn't have female disciples. They certainly didn't have female disciples who'd been dabbling with the dark arts. Jewish Jewish men were not supposed to study with fraternize or with a travel with women that were not related to them. And suddenly we have this woman, this Mary of Migdal, this Mirim, who is traveling with Jesus and going to the Passover with, with Jesus. And, and, and more than that, it was the women, not the twelve, who were the last at the cross, the first at the empty tomb, the first to see Jesus, the first to proclaim he is risen. Mary. I mean, it's crazy. In a patriarchal society, in a man's, man's, man's world. What does it tell us? It just tells us that God is inclusive to a fault. God is inclusive to a fault, which means that you, with all your stuff, with all your doubts, with all your shame, with all your questions, with all your it can't be me and I can't possibly meet Jesus because with all the things that you don't understand and all the things you wish were not true of you, he's alive for you. He's alive for you. Second thing I want you to notice about the character of this God is he's the God who mends people. He restores broken people. Notice this. I love this. God, this is the God that doesn't give us what we think we want. He gives us what we truly need. Don't you love that? He doesn't give you what you say you want or think you want. He gives you what you truly need. So Mary shows up wanting to see a body, and there is no body. And she is deeply disappointed. She goes wanting to get closure, and instead she gets an opening. She goes wanting to be with him in his death, and instead she gets to be with him in his life. This God doesn't give you what you want, and that's a really good thing. Because what you want is not good enough. What you want is not going to fill you. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not ultimately going to give you everything that you need to get through this life and get beyond this life. See, I don't know how to explain this. I, I, I guess, I guess I, I, I came into this world having wants. I I want to be popular, <laughs> probably too much. <laughs> I want to have resources and money. I want to have nice things. I want to be fed. I want, to, I want health and happiness and relationships and success. And I want to do something that is meaningful. And I think God says all those things are good, but they're not actually what you need. They're not your, they may be your pressing need and your presenting need, but they're not your deepest need. What you need is forgiveness. What you need is to be reconciled with your Creator. What you need is to be in a relationship with the God that made you, knows you, understands you, wants a relationship with you. What you need is purpose in life. And the only way you find purpose is to be connected to the one who gave you purpose in the first place. What you need is His life. What you need is healing. And so He sends Jesus. And He's what I need because I'm broken and messed up and scared and scarred and hurt and finite and Jesus offers himself as healer as saviour as forgiver as alive and it changes everything maybe for you maybe for you Notice also, what does it tell us about this God? It tells us that this God knows you. Jesus calls her by name. Now, we've already established in a slightly geeky way that her name is probably not Mary, it's Miriam. And I love the fact that Mary, Miriam, I'm going to get myself in a mess here, doesn't recognize him until he speaks her name. Why is that important? It's important because in John's gospel, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd and he says, my sheep know my voice. I call them by name, Miram. And he calls her name and she realizes that it's Jesus. And her eyes light up and she grabs onto him and says, Rabboni, that's Aramaic for teacher, listen. He's the God who knows you. And he calls you by your name. And he calls out your identity in you. And he knows your stuff. And he understands your fear. And he knows you personally. This resurrection thing that we celebrate and sing songs about is universally world-changing, but it's achingly personal. Jesus speaks to you by name. And he calls you personally as he's called these guys who are about to get baptized. And sometimes he's he speaks by name to those who are hoping to see him like Mary and sometimes he speaks by name to those who are ashamed that they might see him like Peter and sometimes he speaks by name to those who weren't expecting to see him like the two men walking on the road to Emmaus and sometimes he speaks by name to those who are actively hating him and trying to kill his followers like Saul on the road to Damascus but always He calls people by name to follow him. That's what he's doing. And the final thought, and here we'll land the plane. This God, this God is always doing something new. Mary grabs hold of him, and the scriptures say, Jesus says, Don't cling to me. Now, some of the scriptures and some of the commentators say he's saying, Don't touch me because there's some weird thing about his resurrection body and you can't touch it and all this kind of stuff. And I, I think that's nonsense. I think what Jesus is saying is, Don't cling onto the person that you think I was because something has shifted and something has changed. I was just your teacher, and now I am the risen Lord. There's something, And it's very interesting, we haven't got time now, but if you ever do an analysis of the resurrection passages, it's very often people don't fully initially recognize him. Because something has changed about Jesus. And I think Jesus is saying, I'm doing something new. I'm always doing something new. I'm always taking you on a journey with me into your future and my future. You you don't get to cling on to the stuff of the past as if that's the stuff that you need to have. That's the way you need to do church. That's the way you need to do relationship with me because because that was right for then, but it's not right for now. I'm doing something new. And and if you ask, I'm going to wed you to my resurrection life and it's fuller and it's freer and it's stuffed full of possibilities to cooperate with my audacious plan to call the universe back into line and to call people to freedom and to life and I'm asking you to cooperate with me because I call you by name I've mended you up and I include you even though you're busted Isn't that an incredible God? And so Mary goes And tells the boys, we're not going to do that again, but I think it's brilliant, isn't it? In a world where we're talking about, quite rightly, the role of women and the way women have been treated, Mary goes with the best news in the world and preaches to the boys who then get titled the Apostles, but the Apostle to the Apostles is Mary of seven demons. <laughs> no, no more. Mary goes tells the boys, listen, not because she can, because she's included, or because it's her right to do so, because God includes everybody, but just because he's alive just just because it's the most important news on the planet it changes everything and now people can become whole and now life can make sense and now people can be included in this thing and now god is doing something new and now and now and becomes the obsession of her life because this news is life and peace and joy and hope and healing how did we make it anything else and he has risen and death is smashed <laughs> and hopes are alive and nobody expected any of it <laughs> nobody expected any of it and then they met him and it changed everything and he knows your name And he knows your name. And he loves you. Despite your stuff. Because of your stuff. In your stuff. And he is here. Let's pray. he is here he's here with healing he's here incredibly with the same power that got him out of the tomb he's here he's here with hope And he's here whispering names and inviting you to come. And so here's the moment. If you have come here or even in the preaching of the word or in the singing of the songs, you're saying, "Ah, do you know, I want to know the risen Jesus. I don't know his power I don't know his healing I don't know his love for me and I want to then just in the quietness why don't you raise your hand and I would love to pray for you and lead you in a prayer that enables you to meet him let's just do that if you know you'd love to know him just in the quietness thank you God thank you bless you thank you thank you okay let me let me lead you in a prayer why don't you say this quietly in your heart Jesus I want to know you I believe that you're alive and I want you to fill my life with your life you already know my stuff so would you come in forgive me and heal me right now heal me and pour your life through me So that it makes a radical difference from now on and into all eternity. Jesus, would you come in to be my friend and my leader and my savior? I mean this and I ask this in your name.